If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. We're going to look at uh, various verses out of it, so maybe following along there in the bulletin is uh, the easiest thing. We're going to start in verse 34 and then skip ahead after that. Um, uh, You know, this morning we're finishing chapter 13, which we've been in for a while. Uh, Jesus has been, it's something of a sermon of his, of parables. Uh, He's been teaching about the kingdom of heaven in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like this and that. Uh, And then he tells a story or a little uh, illustration. And so uh, these parables uh, might seem, especially since we've taken them sort of one week at a time, one one at a time each week, um, it might seem like they're a random collection of stories, maybe disconnected from each other, uh, but together they're going somewhere. So um, we're getting there. We're getting there today, you know, where all these parables are taking us, uh, where Jesus is going with all of this. Uh, So we're going to look at the overall trajectory of the parables and talk about the main takeaway for those who are disciples of Jesus. And the main takeaway is this. Jesus teaches his disciples to teach like he does. Uh, He gives us a partnership in his own ministry of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's what's going on here. So so let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your Son. Help us to hear his words with faith. Change us as we hear this and consider your word together uh, through a relationship with you in Christ's name. Amen. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him. And they were asking him about the interpretation of the previous parable. And so then you skip ahead to verse 47. <clears throat> Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full... Men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So right there at the end, uh, that's where Jesus has been going this whole time. He wanted to help his disciples understand the message of the kingdom. He's telling them what the kingdom is like so that they would be well-trained to make disciples of others. Uh, Back in chapter 4, when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, uh, Simon, who now is going to be called Peter, and then Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea because they're fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So from the very beginning, he called his disciples to an apprenticeship relationship where they learn to do what he's been doing. 
in chapter 10, uh, which we've looked at already, uh, Jesus sent out his disciples to teach about the kingdom with his own authority, with his own message. And at the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28, so this is after the Lord's uh, crucifixion and resurrection, he commanded his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So it's a constant theme running uh, right through the whole gospel. Jesus teaches you so that you will teach others about his kingdom. There's no discipleship relationship with Jesus where he doesn't call you and teach you and equip you to make disciples of others. Every one of his people is being trained as a scribe for his kingdom. That word in in verse 52 uh, is trained when it says every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. uh, That that word trained is discipled. It's the same word that we see uh, so frequently in the the gospels uh, used of those who are followers of Christ. So it's to be discipled for the kingdom of heaven or discipled of or you know, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, to be discipled is to become a scribe, is what he's saying here, uh, a, a teacher. The scribes in Jesus' day were the biblical experts, right? They're the teachers of the scriptures. Uh, however, those scribes were generally opposed to Jesus. They accused him of blasphemy and breaking God's law. They uh, plotted against him and they sought to trap him in his teachings, his words. Those scribes, uh, they thought they knew the scriptures, and they thought Jesus was violating the scriptures. So there's no way they're going to take what Jesus teaches and teach others that same thing, right? They had become enemies of the Lord of the scriptures himself. So so Jesus was discipling, his training now, a new generation of scribes, so to speak. Uh, Those who would come to know the scriptures truly, which means in a Christ-centered way, and in a right relationship with Jesus. That's the only way you can know the scriptures truly. We've looked at that uh, recently, as he's talked about it in other parables. So those who know the scriptures truly, in a relationship with Jesus, in a Christ-centered way, in order to be able to teach others. Right? These are the, the new generation of scribes that Jesus is teaching. This, tra- this training is not purely academic, not strictly or even primarily maybe intellectual, the stuff of books and classrooms. Uh, The other scribes and teachers of that time, when they encountered Jesus' disciples, they said that they were uneducated common men. Maybe you get the sense that they disdained them because they hadn't gone to the right schools and learned the right things in the right ways with the right books or whatever, right? So, but the disciples, even though they were uneducated common men, they'd been with Jesus. That was the point. Uh, The disciples knew the true Lord of the scriptures. They had spent time with him. They'd trusted and believed him. And they were faithful to tell others about him. So it's like uh, what Paul would write later to Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, What you've heard from me entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's this series. And yes, uh, it's, you know, in, in... Paul's letter to Timothy, it's one pastor talking to another pastor, so one, you know, sort of office of teacher, we would say, uh, officially, uh, to another. But it, 
It really is true for all believers. It's true for all disciples. What you have heard about Jesus, what you have heard about his kingdom, you are called to entrust to other faithful folks who will be able to teach others also, and so on and so forth. Uh, It comes from the, the idea, we believe the good old Reformation doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. All disciples have access to God through faith in Jesus, a relationship with him. And all disciples have a priestly calling to bring other people into the discipleship relationship and to train them to bring yet other people into the discipleship relationship and so on and so forth. So this basically means if you're in a relationship with Jesus, he's called you to know him, but not just for your own sake. I mean, it's a great personal benefit to you to know Jesus, (laughs) but it doesn't stop there, not just for your own sake, but so that you can teach others about him as well. Know him so that you can make him known. This was always God's plan for his people, even from the very beginning. Our first parents were called to fill the earth with God's love, the knowledge of the glory of God. Abraham and his descendants, they were blessed not just for their own sake as a people, but in order to be a blessing to all the nations. The temple in Jerusalem was meant to be a house of prayer for the nations. So God calls his chosen people to become fishers of men and kingdom scribes. He means to make himself known through his people. And that takes us to the heart of the parables of Jesus here in this chapter. Um, We have a sort of a summary statement of the parables that Jesus is teaching or the the fact that he's teaching this way, uh, the method that he's using. This is how Matthew talks about it when, uh, you know, what Jesus is doing here with these parables. He says in verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So this is a quote from Psalm 78. Um, it was a psalm written by Asaph. Rob read uh, some of it as part of our Old Testament reading. <clears throat> we've, uh, we've already looked at when earlier in the chapter Jesus explained his usage of parables. He said, this is why I'm teaching in parables. And he quoted from Isaiah 6 from another place in the Old Testament. He, he speaks in parables because they do two things at once. They simultaneously reveal and conceal. That's the function and that's the purpose of his using parables, he says, because they simultaneously reveal and conceal, because he insists, if you're going to understand them, the, the subject matter, the content of the parables, which is the kingdom of heaven, if you're going to understand the kingdom of heaven, you've got to come to him. You'll only understand what he's talking about through a relationship with him, where you ask him uh, what he's talking about, basically. So <clears throat> you will... Only understand the kingdom of heaven when you come to Jesus to learn from him. So when Jesus quoted from Isaiah 6 earlier, the emphasis was on the concealment part of the function, the purpose of the parables. The concealment as an aspect of judgment. But here, as Matthew quotes from Psalm 78, the emphasis is not so much on the concealing, it's on the revealing. So this is what Psalm 78 says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. 
I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of Yahweh and his might and the wonders he has done. So here in Psalm 78, which is what Matthew is quoting, to speak in parables means less like you're encrypting your message. And more like you're talking about things that have previously been revealed but hard to understand. So, and actually looking to bring the dark things into the light. Actually looking to make new what people have heard from of old. Looking to make a clear sense of what probably was misunderstood before. Looking to interpret the past works and the words of God. And that's exactly what Asaph does in Psalm 78. He then takes the rest of the psalm to recount the history of God's dealings with his people from the Exodus until the rule of David, King David. And Asaph says in in verse 8, Our fathers before us, they knew these things, but they were a stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. That's an interpretive statement. He's teaching about what God has done. He's teaching about who God is and what he is like because... Asaph's teaching this because God has called him, as God has called all of us, to teach the children, teach the next generation, teach others faithfully, so that they'll teach their children, and so on and so forth. So he's teaching things that have already been taught from of old. He isn't saying anything new and innovative about God. These are stories that we've had told for us over and over again in the scriptures. That history is recounted so many times. But Asaph is giving an explanation that takes what is old and makes it new, makes it new for us. He's heard this revelation from of old, and it's become real to him. And he wants to make it real to others for their faith and for their faithfulness to God. That's what a good scribe should do. That's what a true disciple of the kingdom is being trained to do. You're being trained to look at all the scriptures and to recognize Jesus in them and to relate to Jesus in them so that you can tell the next generation about it, make it real for them. This is how all the scriptures, even the very oldest scriptures, they become real and new to us as we recognize Jesus in them and relate to him through them. So Jesus finishes up his parables here, and he says, have you understood all these things? He asks his disciples, have you understood the things I've been talking about? And that's a big question. We know that they didn't have perfect understanding. Uh, We know that they go ahead and mess things up royally uh, just in the next few chapters, right? But they honestly answer and truly answer yes they understand right his disciples do have a real relationship with him even though they aren't perfect they do know what he's teaching them they've been listening they're kind of getting it even if that knowledge isn't perfect you have a real relationship with jesus you know his voice you have heard it you have understood his teaching 
even though none of us are perfectly mature in our understanding or in our relationship with him yet. So Jesus reminds them then the point. The point of his teaching them about his kingdom. It's the purpose of their understanding his kingdom. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who who brings out or casts out, even, uh, of his treasure what is new and what is old. So they're to teach like good scribes of the kingdom of heaven, teaching others what Jesus himself has taught them. They're to be like the master of a house who brings forth new and old, bringing forth, in some sense, new from old. And this is like one last mini parable that he's teaching here in in verse 52. Uh, The master of a house, the master of a house kept the household running, kept the household prosperous by the wise and proper use of resources represented by that treasure or by the storeroom, right? So Jesus himself is the master of the house, and he has brought forth from the treasury of scriptures what is new and what is old. He said he didn't come to abolish the old. He came to fulfill the old, to fulfill the scriptures, teaching us everything God has said and done from of old. He really, uh, he, he has taught us is really and truly about him. He said, if you don't understand the ancient revelation of God as pointing to him, then you don't truly understand the ancient revelation of God, that the ancient revelation of God cannot be truly understood apart from him, apart from a relationship with him. So his whole life sheds new light on the old scriptures. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, they all bring clarity. Out of all the previous words and works of God that we find in the scriptures. Like Asaph, Jesus recounted the old truth of God faithfully for a new generation. And any scribe trained, discipled for his kingdom, will do just what he has done, will faithfully teach the truth of God as fully revealed and fulfilled in Jesus. So, I understand uh, how it might seem daunting to you that when Jesus called you to follow him, he was calling you really to be a scribe, to be a teacher to be a disciple who makes other disciples. Maybe that seems like, <clears throat> you know, above your pay grade or something. Maybe you think, that's not what I signed up for. Well, what did you think you were signing up for? <laughs> Absolute repentance from your old beliefs and your old identity, forsaking everything that made you who you were before. You said, Baptism into the death and resurrection of Jesus, death to your old self, and life as a radically new creation. To deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Yeah, you signed up for the easy stuff, right? But not the teaching part. <laughs> not telling other people about Jesus' part. No, uh, <clears throat> in becoming a disciple, you're signing up for Jesus. And you get Jesus. And that means life with him And that means life with God in his name. And that means a life like his in this world and the next. And once again, that's the greatest privilege of it all. It's what we talk about all the time. You get Jesus. All that belongs to him becomes yours. You become like the master of the house himself. 
As he said in Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. That should be what we want most, to be like Jesus, the master of the house. Jesus came teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, helping his disciples to understand it so that they could teach it to others and be fishers of men just like he is. That's the just like he is part that is the blessing, the privilege of it. Uh, Which brings us back, you know, to the other parable in our passage that we sort of skipped over so far. We haven't really looked at it yet. It's the parable of the net, parable of the dragnet. uh, Some of you may know it as. So again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this net that was thrown or cast into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this parable has a lot in common with the parable of the wheat and weeds, which we looked at a few weeks ago. <clears throat> in that parable, you know, the wheat and the weeds growing together in the field, they're left deliberately to grow together in the field. The righteous and the wicked are left together in the world until the judgment. The language that explains that judgment is very similar in both of these parables, where the angels eventually come and do all the sorting. But the focus of this parable is different from the previous one. The focus of the parable of the wheat and the weeds was on Jesus allowing both righteous and wicked to continue together because he knows what is best for the righteous. He knows it's best for us to continue in a world like this. This parable about the net is focused on the distinction between casting the net and then later when it's full at the right time, drawing it up and sorting out the catch. So it's the distinction between not knowing what's even in the net now versus truly knowing only when the angels pull that net up later. So the net is cast into the sea. And the sea is often a biblical picture of all the nations in the world. The the net is cast into the sea and gathers fish of every kind. Every kind might mean something like, you know, people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Uh, Or it might simply mean, you know, both righteous and wicked together. They're all captured together in the net. Uh, Either way, he's saying the kingdom is like a net that is snagging people indiscriminately. The net is the, the kingdom is like a net snagging people indiscriminately. <clears throat> I worked with a guy once uh, at Starbucks a long time ago who uh, liked to tell fish, fishing stories. He told me this one story. He says with his special polarized fishing glasses, he could stand on the riverbank and he could see out into the middle of the river, see below the surface of the water and pick out which fish he wanted and cast his line with the bait and the hook right into the fish's mouth, basically. (laughs) And then he could see, because of these special glasses, he could see when the fish bit, and they set the hook and reel it in, right? So he says. Sounds awesome. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is emphatically not like that kind of fishing. For those who are fishers of men, that is not how it works in Christ's kingdom. 
We cast nets, and we don't know what kind of fish we're gathering. We cast nets, and we never know what we catch. Not really. Not in this life. We cast the gospel out far and wide, teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And we never know how people are going to truly respond to it. Not even until the very end when Jesus sends his angels to sort everything out. The final judgment, we call it. From the beginning of the scriptures, from the first sin in the garden, there's these angels who have been agents of God's judgment. They will implement and execute his righteous judgment perfectly at the right time. We are not called to do it at any time prior to that day, especially not in our net casting activity as fishers of men. We are not called to prejudge or to be selective about what kind of fish we're trying to catch when we share the gospel with people, with that gospel net. Do you think you're supposed to be able to recognize those who will respond well to the gospel? And then figure out just the right words that are sure to work with them? Do you think you can even recognize those who are truly saved? Do you think you could recognize someone who will ultimately be lost? It, it doesn't matter whether you think you have the gift of discernment or whatever. You are not the judge of souls. Do you think that because someone is hostile to Jesus, really murderously hostile to Jesus, or toward Christians in the church right now, that it means they're lost? I mean, what would you have done with Saul when he was hunting down Christians, when he stood observing the murder of Stephen with approval? Would you have been able to sort the righteous from the wicked in that moment? Would you have said, we don't want that kind of fish in the net. We're not going to preach the gospel of that kind of guy. Do you think you can even judge yourself? Do you know what kind of fish you are in the net? Can you be content not knowing? But entrusting that judgment to Jesus and to the angels who ex ex exercise his holy will? <clears throat> we are to submit to the Lord's judgment. That's what this parable reiterates. Our role in this parable and the role Jesus is pointing us to with all the parables is simply to faithfully cast the nets into the dark waters. We have no idea what the catch will be in the end, but that's okay. And there's no reason to be afraid of that. The Lord and his angels will sort it all out, no problem. It'll be a glorious catch. We're not called to anticipate the response of people who hear the gospel from us. We're not called to target only the specific people that we think might bite the hook. We're not called to manufacture results in any way or to be responsible for their response in any way. We're not called to recognize what's going on inside their hearts, to judge their response to Jesus and his kingdom. We're just called to know Jesus so that we can make him known to others, all kinds of people. We're called to faithfully teach the good news of the kingdom, just as Jesus himself has faithfully taught the good news of the kingdom. He cast his net far and wide, snagging all kinds of people indiscriminately 
He did it knowing full well that many who heard his words would reject him, would rebel against his kingdom, would rise up against him to get rid of him. That's what happens. Right after he preaches these parables, he tastes the pain of rejection in his own hometown. Still, nevertheless, he faithfully cast the net of his kingdom because it was, and it still is, the time for the casting of the net. Not the time for the sorting out of the fish. Not the time for the final judgment of the righteous and the wicked. Not the time for setting things right once and for all. It's the time of opportunities for the gospel. We're called to join Jesus in making the kingdom of heaven known to all. We're called to be scribes, casting forth the Christ-centered word of God to the nations. Talking about the scriptures the way Jesus does. Telling people that they really can be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And when those who want to be his disciples come, then we'll spend time specially helping them to know Jesus. Not just for their own sake, but to be able to teach others also, to share the news, the old news, the good news of the gospel with the coming generations. This is the blessed life of the kingdom, relating to Jesus in our sharing of his word with others, participating in the life and ministry of the king himself. Have you understood these things? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you have called us to a Christ-centered life in every way, which means sharing in your son's proclamation of the kingdom. And if we are to share the good news of Jesus, we have to know Jesus. So we pray that you would help us to know Jesus from all the scriptures. We could recognize him and relate to him everywhere in the scriptures so that we can faithfully teach others, others about him. We don't want just the right magic words. Uh, we don't need to know all the impact of our words on those who hear. We simply count it a blessing and a privilege to, to live with Jesus, to live like Jesus in this world. So help us to tell others about him and his kingdom with love and humility and with courage even as he has done through the power of his spirit at work in us. We pray in his name. Amen.